Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative and this is a podcast about the future of marketing. Every week or so, I have the pleasure and the privilege to interview one of our industry's leaders about their vision for the future of the industry. And this week is no different. I'm joined on a Zoom call uh, by Grace Dolan, who is Vice President, Integrated Marketing, at Samsung. So Grace, for anyone who's listening to this podcast who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Hi, sure. So hi, Tom. Hi, audience. Um, I'm, my name is Grace Dolan. I'm the, the VP of Integrated Marketing for the Home Entertainment Division at Samsung Electronics. Um, and basically what this means is that I oversee a bunch of really, really smart people who make me look great. <laughs> and we're responsible for uh, consumer marketing, shopper marketing, and trade marketing for the home entertainment division, which includes TV, audio, and memory, what I very endearingly call my brofolio. People hate when I say that. I just, it's, they're all dude products. I just think it's very funny and ironic that I the girliest person ever on this portfolio. Your bro portfolio, um, is that right? My, my, my bro folio, yep. So is that, <laughs> did that make it onto the navigation on the website? It, it unfortunately uh, did not make the cut. <laughs> it <was very> quickly <laughs> vetoed. <laughs> uh, so, I, so, I, so I assume that really you, you must have been at CES this year. I was, yes. I This year's CES was uh, probably the craziest uh, hey, CES that, was that I've ever experienced. You know, like technology is just moving at the speed of light, and we all know that. Um, but half of our jobs is to have the vision and create the technology, and then half of our jobs is to pull consumers along with us. <clears throat> and part of my job is going out and talking to the world about the future of technology and where we are today and how today is already the future for a lot of people who are stuck five years ago, right? So yeah. getting them caught up and then helping them envision the future. Um, so there was a lot more of that this year. It was really fun. So semi-personal question, I assume given your job and the nature of the business you work for, what is your home TV setup? Have you got like a, uh, a gigantic screen that goes all the way across your living room with a thousand speakers? It is, it is so aggressive. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> I have an absurdly small home <laughs> and yet I have an absurdly large TV. So our living room setup, I convinced my amazing husband to get rid of almost all of the furniture so that we can, <laughs> it's a little embarrassing to talk about it, no, so we can use, use the wall as a display for our 75-inch TV. Amazing. So now, in our very small home, there's a living room, a coffee table, and just a ginormous TV <laughs> on the wall, <laughs> and everything has been removed. <laughs> uh, I was, I was hoping you were going to say that, and that is a that is a fantastic vision I have in my head now. So, <laughs> as is customary on the podcast, we're going to ask you a, a couple of getting to know you questions. So, what is the most useful thing that you've 
bought with your own money that you use for work. So not something you've expensed or, you know, put, put through some account or whatever, but your, your own hard earned cash that is indispensable for work. So uh, two things, they're both very analog. Um, the first is thank you cards. Uh, I love old school thank you cards. I love thank you notes. And unless I write the notes in the moment, I will absolutely forget. I'm like a chipmunk that way, um, or I'll just get too bogged down later. So I keep boxes of thank you notes everywhere at work, at home, in the car. Um, <laughs> it's on coops in some ways. <laughs> uh, but that, that has been the most useful personal use of my money. And then the second is just having an amazing notebook. Um, and this is my inner Asian. I just can't, like, I'm so anal. <laughs> and I'm very, I'm very particular about this. I have one that has all sorts of different grid lines, regular ruled, index ruled, and then this, like, list section. And so you open the spread, and it's all of these types of ruled um, options. It's, it's kind of my, my salvation to stay organized at work. Yeah, so I'm the same uh, I'm a big fan of a notebook. I, I found when I took all my notes on a digital device, then you just don't internalize it the same way because you're, you know, thinking about typing or whatever. Whereas a, a notebook, you can, I think you can think and write at the same time. And so when you go back to that, those notes, you remember that conversation or that session much more clearly. Is that your yeah. experience? Absolutely. And my notebook is color coordinated. And so no. I can remember that I took notes on a purple page. I really, it's, I'm such a visual learner. It's, it's uh, a really essential tool for me. And the thank you cards, that is a unique answer on this podcast, certainly. So tell me how that works. So if one of your team does something really good, do you just crank out a little card, stick a stamp on it and whack it in the post box? Or tell me like, how often do you do these like, and what's been the benefit of doing them? Yeah. Um, so this is for my entire life, but particularly for work, especially in today's day and age when everyone is so email obsessed, you'll oftentimes get a response to an email that says, thanks. Or like, thanks a lot. <laughs> lots of exclamation points. Um, but it took the same amount of effort to do that as to press delete, basically. Um, so even just taking a moment to say, hey, I think you did a really great job on this. I really appreciate your contribution to this project or this team. Or even just to say like, hey, you just have the most amazing attitude and it's been a tough week and you really lifted up the team and you just drop it on their desk and they, Everyone likes getting mail. You know, I, there's something about opening up an envelope and seeing a handwritten note. It means a lot to people. And you, so you're not actually putting this through the mail, right? This is just like around the nope. office or at home or wherever. You're just handing it over. Yep. So you're basically creating your own like non-competitive media channel, really, to get your point across. <laughs> High, highly uncompetitive. <laughs> Crazy. Nobody wants any part in it. <laughs> 100% open rates. Oh, we could go on. Correct. Right, anyway. <laughs> Correct. I, should, I should be looking to monetize this. So, A missed opportunity. Indeed. So, so what new belief or behavior in the last five years has changed your work life? Oh my gosh, this is actually a really 
kind of a big one. So I, it's a belief that's led to a behavior. So um, BOGO, <laughs> uh, I, have, I have three kids. They're under seven. I have a brilliant husband with a, a crazy career of his own. And the belief that I have now that I didn't have for many years is that it's really okay to love your job. And it's okay to love spending time at work. Um, and I used to just feel a tremendous amount of guilt about not spending every free moment I had with my family. And I've, I've really evolved. I mean, you have to be happy and fulfilled to raise happy, curious, um, you know, worthwhile kids, kids that turn into, you know, worthwhile adults productive individuals, and also just to be a partner worth spending your life with, right? And so that, all of that said, um, I love my job and I spend a lot of time and, I, and I, I feel okay with it now, but I also have now implemented a new behavior to make sure that I don't go overboard with my job loving. Um, so I'm just like a crazy workaholic, so I set daily goals for myself now and they basically work as a trigger to leave the office. So the thing about daily goals is that you might have deliverables for the week or the month or, you know, whatever. As long as you're really clear on the most important things that you absolutely need to get done that day, you will give yourself permission to leave. And that, that's been a, a really helpful tool for me. So when, when doesn't that work? So I, I love that as an idea and I'm a big fan. Like I have a kind of Trello boards and I'm like, okay, this is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Like, right. What are the three things that I need to do today and, and push those up? But then like something crazy happens or something you're not expecting happens and then something gets bumped, but you're like, that still needs to happen today. How, how do you flex that rule? Yeah. So sometimes you can't. And sometimes I'll spend a late night in the office. Sometimes I'll, I'll go home and I'll log back on. You know, sometimes it has to get done today, but today could mean yeah. 11 p.m. Right? <laughs> uh, so that's where I flex. It's, you know, it's still worth it to get to see, you know, to read a book to my daughter before she goes to bed. So, so what is your strategy for dealing with overwhelm? So all of your best intentions... <laughs> I've go out the window and yes, you, you can work late into the, into the night. But I, my experience is, is that you can only play that card for so long and then the quality of the work goes <laughs> or your memory goes or your performance goes or whatever. Yeah. So, how, so when things are getting too much, very senior position, very demanding job, lots of thank you cards to write. Like when it gets all too much. <laughs> how, how, Hands cramping from all those notes. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do, how do you deal um, with overwhelm? How do you cope with that? Yeah, honestly, in, in, so losing focus is, is your body's way of saying that you need a break. Um, so in the moment, in, in a moment where I just like can't focus at my, at my desk, I will just get up and walk around and talk to people and just, <clears throat> just reset. But in general, um, I think like I'm sort of obsessed with exercise. I just, as I can't, I don't think I can survive with all of the craziness of my life without a regular sanity maintenance tool. And so I work out pretty much all the time. I'll, I'll get up at like 530 in the morning and I'll do yoga or cycling or Pilates. I do um, hot hit, which is 
basically hit in like an egregiously hot room. That's disgusting. Um, and it, uh, hit is, the, <laughs> hit is an evil thing, but in a hot room, that is, that is just disgusting. I, I do not support it, that. Oh my God. Really? It's torture, but it really resets. It, it focuses you. It's, it's, I love it. It's so it's amazing. Um, and then I've started to explore meditation, but I'm just, really terrible at it <laughs> they say meditation is like is taming the the monkey mind and i swear i have like just a bunch of orangutans in there like it's it's untamable uh but it's still worth trying i don't know how familiar you are with the the th- well, theory practice whatever you want to call it in yoga like you have yin and yang personalities you know yang's like sort of dynamic hit in every hot room and then there's the the sort of the yin personality which is you know slow and not so many poses and all that kind of thing like um and it's interesting to hear you say that you're like you know workaholic and you've got three kids and you cram everything you do loads of exercise um and yet you say you, you struggle sometimes with the more yin elements of life and the, the meditative bits so um tell me how how have you tried to make meditation work for you so part of it is kind of cheating through yoga. Like the reason why I love yoga is that there's such a huge focus on breathing, which to me is highly meditative. So that, that's been kind of a salvation for me. Um, and then as far as actual meditation, like sitting in my room, I will try to take one to five minutes, I baby steps. I know, I know people who can meditate for like an hour straight, which is just to me, unattainable it's like hot hit for you (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i i I try to just sit there and think about one thing because i can't do the empty your brain i can't think of nothing so i'll just try to think about one thing like a plain wall or a patterned wall or just one very simple thing for at least a short period of time so that i'm just letting go so we're getting near the halfway stage now, and I'm really curious to ask you this question that not many people want to answer, but how do you want people to remember your career? I, I want to be known as someone who just went for it, you know, like someone who was, was passionate and believed in good ideas and was just utterly fearless about fighting to turn them into reality. Um, I, want, I want people to say that I cared about my consumers and that I listened maniacally to their needs and was someone who was just really good at like cooking up ideas to make products and solutions that made their lives better. Um, but I also want to be known as someone who cared not just about the work, um, but about all the people that worked with me to make all these amazing things happen. So while there's this great opportunity to drive forward ideas, I've also had, um, you know, a lot of opportunities to lift people up in their careers. And I, I, I desperately hope that when people look back on my career, that they think of me as someone who, who spent time, who cared, who developed them and really lifted them up as leaders. Could you give me an example or a story of when you were utterly fearless? I love that as a phrase. I'm just curious to know how that as evidence that's yeah sure i mean i can give you a recent anecdote um i don't know if you've seen the ad within the ad that um, we did with netflix and uh ryan reynolds aviation yeah of course yeah yeah 
so that came from an idea from, from my creative team, Adam and Eve. They were like, hey, what if we did the thing where we partnered with Aviation Gen because we were working with Ryan Reynolds on our Netflix Samsung partnership. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Um, so we, we pitched Ryan a script. And he came back and was like, hey, I have some adjustments, but yeah, let's do it. And everybody was in. And then at the same time, I don't know if you guys, uh, there was like a PR something that happened in Europe for Samsung. And, and everybody got really conservative and felt nervous about partnering with um, an alcohol, a liquor brand. And so it was all canceled. And I went home that weekend on a Friday and I was like, everyone said no, like legal said no, risk said no. <laughs> I just, the entire team was like, oh, this is not the right time. Um, and I was just thinking about it on the weekend. I was like, my God is telling me that I should do this. This is, this is, this is something that's right for the brand. Um, it's something fresh. It's something that, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to reinvent ourselves, especially with younger consumers. You know, I told you, TV's like been on the outs for a little while, right? Um, so I just came back and I said, guys, we're doing this. You need to do this. And I just like made my rounds around the, 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 the C-suite, basically. I just walked into the room of every single key stakeholder and I said, this is why I think we need to do this. We need to be fearless and bold. Um, and I shockingly got alignment and it was, and I, and I basically said it, I was like, if this, if this goes bad, I promise you have my resignation <laughs> on your desk by the end of the week and we will say no more. <laughs> uh, so and then it was great. Story. It was it fantastic. Did, it, did. Yeah. It, it was, it was very good. Uh, so what a, what <laughs> excellent story. You got in everyone's face, made a nuisance of yourself and fought your corner. Brilliant. Right, so we are at the halfway stage of the podcast. So now we're going to talk about your shiny new object, and you've kind of blown it already, but it's the future of television. You're, you're a TV obsessive. You love TV. It's come across in the conversations we've had. So can you explain to the audience why the future of television is a shiny new object that you're passionate about? Oh my gosh, I am so obsessed with TVs right now. <laughs> so first of all, I just want to highlight the irony of this because I didn't own a TV for almost 15 years before I met my husband. And he was like, how do you live without a TV? I said, fine. And then I got this job and then my husband always jokes and he says, like I married this woman and she was great. And then she moved to Samsung and then she was just like a much better version of herself. <laughs> like one that loves technology and toys. <laughs> so it's been great things for our marriage. Um, but anyway, I digress. <clears throat> so TVs are awesome. In the, I would say like over the last couple of decades, TV has turned itself around, it's made a, a makeover. I mean, it used to be this pretty flat, one-sided experience, right? Like you turn on the TV, you watch whatever you know content is on, whatever programming is on, typically through broadcast, and then it was cable, but you know, pretty limited. And then you turn it off, and that's it. Kind of myopic. Um, nowadays, you just can do everything. You can consume content from such a huge array of um, options, right? Like broadcast, cable, and then OTT, and a million OTT options. But now you can also play games online. You can curate and display art. You can improve your health and wellness. And you can actually use it as a tool to build a more active and engaged life. 
which I don't think anyone ever, ever imagined a TV could be used in that way. And then when you think about like the marriage of hardware innovation with technologies like AI and 5G that are rapidly growing and developing, um, it's, it's taken something old and predictable and turned it into something new and really exciting. It's like giving somebody, it's like giving Popeye spinach, right? <laughs> like all of a sudden you're turbocharged and you can do all these new and exciting things. Um, and that's what I, that's kind of how I think about TV today. So I don't know if is that, yeah, that, that makes sense. It, well, there's, there's so many different ways we can go there. So there's the, so there's the, as you say, that the future is kind of now for people who are, who have a device from five years ago. So at some point, the technology that's available today, be it like 8K or whatever, is going to be commonplace. Like that's going to be in everyone's living room. So can you help me just understand what you see as the future of TV in maybe five years time when the, the new technology today has become commonplace? What, how will we interact with TV? I mean, you've talked about um, obviously not just the things we do today, but like health and wellness and so on and 5G and AI, like all very exciting to me, but can you help, the listener understand specifically what we will be doing differently with TVs in the future that we're not doing today? Yeah. Okay. Fair question. <laughs> uh, so I think first I probably want to talk about AI and, and what AI will, will help us experience on TVs. AI is like the bridge and the great equalizer. So for example, today we have 8K TVs, right? Tomorrow you're right, we'll have like 1 million K TVs. Um, but the, the common question is always like, well, you know, we're only broadcasting in, you know, in some cases 720i, right? And like, what are you watching on an 8K TV? And AI is helping to kind of bring those two together to bridge because it upscales everything into 8 8K, which was just kind of unimaginable and just even a couple of years ago. Um, so just in terms of picture quality and display and the way that pictures look on your TV, um, pretty amazing. But then when you think about like, so that's like the first layer, right? Like picture quality. Then there's the actual content and your experiences with content and everyone's familiar with kind of like the Netflix algorithm where you go in and you know, okay, so you like watching um, New Girl, may I recommend Schitt's Creek? True story, by the way, that's such a good show. Um, but what if you could do that across all of, you know, the, the entertainment, the content platform, so across OTT, across broadcast cable, and actually we can now. So somebody was like, well, somebody should merge these things, and now we have. Um, and that's, you know, thank you, a part of it is AI, right? Like, taking everyone's usage behaviors across multiple platforms and then coming out with recommendations and curated content for you. And then now we can do that with art. So nobody wants to see a huge black box like sitting, you know, on your, on your wall. Even if, even if you love TV, <laughs> you might not want a huge 75 inch black box sitting on your wall. So now you can display art. And when you go into the guts of the machine, you can, see the art curated for you. So I can see that you like modern art. Let me recommend abstract. Let me recommend photography. So it's like this personal assistant helping you to design your home, helping you to curate your, the entertainment experiences that you're having. It's actually pretty incredible. 
Um, and we're going to see that grow and grow and grow um, to, you know, to unimaginably personalized experiences. I think the other thing that I'm really, really, really excited about is 5G. So like we talk about content and having access to content, but like so much of it is limited to the parameters that exist within speed and access, right? So I always talk about um, like gamers. Right now, and I don't know, Tom, do you game? Um, if you mean like, do I have a swivel chair with lots of speakers in my own dark room? No, but occasionally I play games on my phone. So, okay. Well, I'm not a gamer either, but I'm, I'm really passionate about gaming. Um, and that does sound contrary, but I like people and I like gamers. And they are just like some of the most passionate consumers that I've ever encountered. And when, I, when you talk to a gamer today, they, you know, they play a game or a couple of games. Part of that is because, you know, the old school way of gaming is that you'd go, you'd buy a game, you would, you know, attach it to your whatever console you had, and you might have an Xbox or you might have a PS4. And then you would play that game. It would take like an hour to download the game, and then you would play, right. and then you would have that experience, and you would go deep. With 5G, imagine you, Siri, you, you could download like an entire series of some Netflix show within an hour. And it right now takes like hours and hours and hours and hours. So it's the, the equivalent with games. So instead of taking an hour, like imagine you have a screen that's like Netflix with all of the games available to you in front of you. And knowing that it's not going to take an hour, a download, an hour to download, you can just click and explore and play all kinds of games. Everyone's happy, right? You as a gamer, you're, you have access to the world of gaming. As a publisher, old things are coming back, old is new again. And then imagine the console that's hooked up with wires to your TV is now just entirely gone. It's all cloud-based gaming. So you have this perfectly clean living room with a wireless console. It's just, it's gonna, it's really gonna revolutionize how we consume and interact with content because everything will speed up at and uh, degrees of speed. And then on top of that, the world of content that you will have at your fingertips will multiply by exponential numbers. So in that world, this is where AI and 5G work really well together, that curation is going to come back. And so now you have the access to the entire world. Let me help you. Let me help you because you have interest in things that you may want this or this or this. Um, and, I, and I think the last thing, and this is like probably the newest and very coolest thing, and it's very personal to me because I am obsessed with exercise, but I have a lot of kids and it's hard for me to get out of the house to go work out, um, is, is health on your TV. So. It's crazy. Like the last couple of years, a lot of tech companies have been providing wellness tech to help consumers kind of track their fitness, track their nutrition, their overall wellness um, with like mobile devices and watches and um, lots, of, lots of devices that you take on the go. But no one's ever thought of doing that on your TV. So imagine you have a TV in your bedroom, you wake up, in the morning, you can set the alarm so that it wakes you up to a meditative trance. 
um, that then reads that outside it's raining. Normally you go running in the morning, but it's raining. So it might get set to your favorite hit class or to your favorite yoga class. So you kick off the morning with a workout, then you go, you have your day, blah, blah, blah. You set up, you know, your health fitness app so that multiple members of your family can be participating in this, in this fitness world together and keeping each other motivated. What we know right now is that four out of five people just don't get enough exercise and that the biggest kind of obstacle to exercising is keeping motivated. And the best way to stay motivated is by having reminders and a partner or someone who will keep you accountable. So, like, ironically, having your TV keep you accountable by being connected to everything that you're wearing outside of the home, all the things that you're doing inside the home, and being connected to activities that your family members are doing, it's a, it's a super exciting space. Um, and then I imagine what this can look like in a couple of years when we are connecting not just our mobile devices and our TV devices and you know our wearables, but what about when we start connecting it to our fridge and you know, you know what you ate. So yeah, like I wrote down that I ate a salad, but we all know that that donut went missing from the fridge, right? <laughs> so what, what, at that point, do you have someone who's really just looking after you? And who has, who has that in this day and age? Like, who has the option of having a personal assistant follow you around and make sure that you're okay, that you're doing everything that you said you want to do to make your, your life and your health, um, you know, as great as it can be? So a, a key point. So yeah, that's, a, that's why TVs are awesome, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so a key point that's missing, I feel, in that utopia dystopia depending on where you're coming from is a personality so i um i i got one of the first smartwatches and it just drove me crazy because i had yet another screen telling me things like do this you haven't done you know you, you need to stand up you like you know so and so is calling you i was like do you know what i've already got a phone that does that i don't need i don't need a crap phone on my wrist to to do exactly the same thing um and like notifications are uh, in, interesting to a point, but they're incredibly ignorable. And uh, I think that some people listening to this would think if my TV told me to do yoga and it was raining outside and I had a hangover and there was a donut in the fridge, I just ignore it. And I, and I think that you can design a, the most sensible user experience in the world to, to think, oh, well, I, I encourage you to do all these good, healthy things. But the, the reason why having some accountability there isn't works is because it's a real person because there's a relationship i invest in this relationship with my friend who's going to come and knock on my door at 7 30 and we're going to go running together right if you you could send me all the notifications on any device anywhere wouldn't make me get out of bed so what i'm interested in is how do you see the role of ai driven avatars within the, the tv medium and uh representing the the life coach or the best friend or the training buddy uh, have you seen any examples of that or do you think it is just about pop-up notifications saying that you should do turn up the heating and do a hit class i have not yet seen an avatar um, that lives on the tv but i could see that happening in a world in the not too distant future and it could be an avatar it could be your actual personal trainer 
it could be like a Peloton type of model where <clears throat> there is a live trainer available to you. I think there's a lot of options. I think that the, the point that you make about having an accountability partner that's a real partner that you have a relationship with, I don't know if that would be necessarily addressed by an avatar, but I think that's kind of where like having an account or having um, uh, an infrastructure where your family members are part of it is intended mm, right. to, to help you to do that, right? So you say you're going to set a goal or that you're, you're going to meet this physical challenge and your husband is also there and you're tracking results and comparing and reporting out together. And you obviously have to change your settings if you want to share things like that. But that's part of it. And I think there's an acknowledgement that that's a, that's a real issue that you can <laughs> indefinitely ignore those notifications. Part of it is like, okay, you got to help yourself a little bit. And then part of it is to acknowledge that that's human nature for the most part. And that, you know, let's try to be more clever about how we can get people to feel accountable to their own health and to their relationships with family members who are doing this with you. So Grace, we are at the end of the podcast now, regrettably, because I think we could talk about TVs for a long time, which I, um, I don't think I've, I ever think I've ever said to said to anyone before. But but there you go. Um, thank you. Uh, thanks for sharing the the small details of the, of the way you go about your your job and, and your life and and sharing that passion for TV. It's definitely reignited mine. So thank you. If any of the listeners wanted to get in touch with you, how would you like them to do that? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn and definitely I'm, I'm fairly responsive on LinkedIn. I try really hard. Um, and I get a lot of people who just reach out to me because they, you know, saw me on a panel and they have interesting questions and I like hearing from people and I'm, I'm, you know, LinkedIn me, that's what social is for. And what makes a great LinkedIn reach out? You know what? Not so please no cold calls. <laughs> Because that's an automatic uh, ignore. But a question about something that I said, a question about, you know, the topic that we discussed today and anyone who wants to talk about TVs, I will, I will set up time. <laughs> we, can, we can talk for days. We can do an offsite. <laughs> I, I, yeah, this is a very, very hot topic for me. Well, Grace, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. This is this is this was great. <laughs>